spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, welcome in to a championship edition of Rage and Review, or champions edition, should I say. Matt Miguez, <clears throat> Jerry Bear, man about town, Josh Jagno. We're going to finish talking about the conference championship game. We are, we are four days removed from the Cajuns winning their first conference championship in school history, their first Sunbelt championship in school history. On Zoom above me is Mr. Jerry Hebert, and below me is Man About Town Josh Agno. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening. Salutations. Salutations. Warm, warm regards. So, conference championship game, 24-16, Cajuns defeat App State, mind you, third year in a row. Third game in a row, I'm sorry. Third game in a row. Um, we went from losing eight straight to App to winning three straight. Did you ever think in your lifetime that you would be a part of a field storm? I thought about it as a kid after the te- uh, experiencing Texas A&M. I didn't actually rush the field against A&M with my dad, but we were – on the field in the first half and the second half we were in the stands and then we ended up going into the locker room by the tunnel like up above towards the athletic building high-fiving players as they were walking in and then I remember looking down at the field back then watching the students rush this was 25 years ago I always had a feeling eventually we would do something special that would allow us to have that opportunity to go on the field I just didn't know when uh, it had been such a long time after that AM game for us to really sniff any type of consistent success. So I knew it was a matter of when, but I didn't think it would be 25 years later, but I was very happy to experience that the other night and to be able to share a moment like that on the field with, with the rest of the fans. I expected to do it a long time ago. I just, those seasons kept melting away. It was like, all right, this is the year. All right, this is the year. Nope, I had to wait until I was 36 years old to carry my old ass onto the field. So I don't care. I told you guys last week, if it goes down, I'm rushing. And thankfully, everybody else did, because for a minute there, we were all looking at each other like, how do we do this? Who's going to go first? Some guy broke his ankle, like, right next to me, because it's a lot further of a drop than you think. Um, no, it's great. It was great. I always thought that we'd be able to do it and uh, just had to wait a little bit longer than expected, but it was one hell of a cool experience. Wish I could have been in the student section when that happened. I wish I would have been, you know, 13 years younger, 15 years younger because man, I may have not slept since then. I got a, I got a funny story from my guy, Samuel LeBlanc, who, uh, who helps me run the, the Cajuns barstool account. He claims that he was the first student to be on the field. Believe it or not, he almost got arrested because he he hopped the rail, which is exactly what they said not to do. He hopped the railing 
So he said a cop grabbed him, threw him against the wall, and went to cuff him. And then they saw all the other students doing it. So the cop was just like, go. That's good. I mean, that's dumb to arrest a kid for jumping the field. Here's the thing. This is a this is a big time moment. You let the community have it. And I told Catherine, I said, look, I might be the first one down there because these these guys are just looking at each other. I said, just bail me out. No big deal. No big deal. But he there was some hesitancy. And you no can hear it, you can hear the the PA guy going, stay in your seats. Do not rush the field. And everybody, of course, ignored that because I mean, why would why would you listen to that? I mean, they can't arrest us all, right? But uh, no, it was a cool moment. You're not gonna let these these stiff asses take it from us. You gotta do what we gotta do. I was enjoying because um, we were we were in our seats, so we were far enough to where you know I wasn't by the rail or anything like that. But I just kind of enjoyed seeing everything from the Chauncey force fumble on Chase Bryce to clinch it, the recovery, the review, where they were playing the techno and the entire stadium was bouncing up and down. It was like a rave party for about two or three minutes at Cajun field. And then followed by the ref after the review saying that it was confirmed that it was a fumble recovery by Chauncey, which clinched it and watching the offense go out, getting the student section in Cajun field fired up, you know, telling them to make noise and all the way to Levi taking the final knee. And then they rush the stage out and they give Billy the Gatorade bath. And I, I was, I was filming the whole time. I mean, I was getting emotional. I hugged my dad, hugged my wife, my mom. And uh, all of a sudden within 30 seconds, you just see the whole entire student section just pouring onto the field. And that's when I'm like, I look at my wife, you know, she didn't, she didn't go because she's, she's pregnant. And I, she's like, look, I'm, I'm heading home. You have fun. So I'm like, all right, guys, I'll see you. I'll see you in about another hour or so. And that's when I went on the field and I went in an orderly fashion, you know, now 15 years ago it would have been different, but I went down and, and it was great. I think once everybody went on the field, I want to say probably 80% of Cajun field was on that football field for that trophy presentation. And how stupid would it have looked if there was nobody there? I mean, it made the scene. I know Jerry's too straight laced to run around trying to get away from a cop. You know, he had to take his time, watch everybody else get in trouble first. <laughs> I have to, yeah, it would have been entertaining for me to watch that. But um, regardless, I was so high up, I wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. But, but still, I, um, I enjoyed, I just took, it really wasn't about trying to get on the field first. For me, it was just enjoying the moment and taking it in, man. Uh, you know, the first time ever or the first time in my lifetime and all of our lifetimes. I mean, we're none of us are 51 years old. It was our first time in all of our lives that we got to witness our football team win its first outright conference championship in football. And we got to do it in our home stadium in front of our fans. You know, it's different if it's on the road, like last year, if they would have played the game at Coastal, that would have been nice, but we, we, we wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have been there. You know, the other day, uh, a few years ago, maybe we would have pulled an upset in Boone, North Carolina to beat App State over there. We, I mean, Josh, I know you were there, but, but I wouldn't have been there. To do, that, to do that at home in front of our fans, outstanding. I would have been 100% arrested. 100% arrested in Boone or in, uh, in the bum camps of, uh, of Conway, North Carolina, that's for sure. And you would have been have, 100% okay with it. I would have been 100 and I would have... 100% posted a we out you video for getting arrested for raging review <laughs> in the back of a cop car. We out you. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh my God. 
dig, digging in his back pocket to get his phone with his handcuffs. Like, ah, dude, that's hilarious. TV numbers came back. Um, this is kind of a low number, but we expected that, um, especially with the the championship games that we were paired with. Obviously, the, the way it works in college football is that if you don't have a dog in the fight on Championship Saturday, you're watching the SEC championship game. That's just that's just how it is. Um, 14 million people watch the SEC championship game. Okay, the Sun Belt game was the second. The second, what's the word I'm looking for? Least watched game behind the Mac, not the Mac, the uh, Conference USA. Isn't that oh, funny? Really? I read a, <laughs> I, I read a, I read a tweet, and they they posted this graph of the numbers, and the Sun Belt was the lowest, and then um, somebody commented, they're like, "Oh, well, you forgot Conference USA," and the guy said, "No." The viewership was so low that it didn't register a rating. I mean, it was probably on, uh, like we say, the QVC or uh, A&E or whatever the shit, TNT. Look, I, I, it goes back to what we asked the commissioner, and that's why I asked the question. You know, I, if I'm the commissioner, I'm railing against the idea that I'm playing opposite the AAC with college football playoff implications and the SEC. You know what I mean? I mean, come on, 440,000 people watch the Sun Belt Conference Championship. That's like not even the betters were watching the game. We, we, in my opinion, and if we have the commissioner on again, and I'll say my opinion, the first time you want to be nice, you know, I didn't want to rock the boat too much, but I thought he kind of gave a, a weak answer when he said, you know, our time slot moves and it's complicated. Well, you know, I get all that, but you got to do what's best for the conference and what's best for the conference is not playing opposite the SEC. There was a time slot open Saturday night. We should have been playing then. I mean, that's my view of it. Uh, you know, maybe next time we'll get more than 20 minutes to talk to him, but uh, 440,000 is less than our midweek game against App State. Uh, it's less than our other uh, non-conference game. Uh, what was that? Was it Ohio that we played on ESPN or ESPN2? That thing got 700,000 viewers. What, I mean, what time slot was open Saturday night? Well, you had the SEC championship and the AEC championship right during us. There was a slot open at night. It was what, the Pac-12? It was the Big Ten. The Big Ten. I mean, that's still better than two games that you have to fight for, you know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, anytime, anytime you go toe-to-toe with the SEC, you, you, you're going to get you've smashed. Already, you've already lost not, yeah. without even trying. Um the, the issue with this, especially in this particular SEC championship, it was pretty much the game of the year, Alabama-Georgia. Uh, your two best teams in the country going against each other. Pretty much almost possibly a preview. Tell you right now, that's going to be the national championship game. Right, well, what I just, Jerry, you, you, you just completed my right sentence. Now. Right there. You just yeah, completed my it, sentence. That, that possible preview of what we might see in January. And Cincinnati was fighting for a college football playoff spot. You're talking about three of the four playoff teams you're playing opposite against, you know, I don't know, man. I, I just thought that that was poor planning. Uh, maybe it was kind of cemented earlier in the season. I don't really know how it works. That's why I asked him the question. But going forward, we really have to do a better job of so – the, the Sun Belt has come a long way, but we're, we're not there yet. I mean, we got work to do, uh, especially when only one of the teams that are playing in our game is ranked. You know, and that's no shot at App State. They had a good season. Just saying it's not Houston and Cincinnati or the SEC. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, it, it's kind of that conversation that everybody likes to have is how much how much pull did did ESPN have in in determining that? How much how much kickback did Keith Gill really have in in determining the time? We don't know. Like you said earlier, that that'd be a good question to to ask him if we ever had the opportunity to sit down with him again. Um but regardless, I don't I don't give a damn how many people watch it. We won the damn thing. It goes back no, to I know, what we I know we don't care. I'm just talking about from the standpoint of the league. You know, we want the league to be healthy. We want people to watch the games. We want our we financially we want to prosper as a league. Um who knows? Maybe we have implications playoff wise next year or the next. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be low on the totem pole. Ne- I never want to be there. Uh, we've been there too long, and we're a good conference now. So, Well, it, it goes back to what happened at homecoming with ESPNU, where our 11 o'clock kickoff, when we originally had a 4 o'clock kickoff, and I think it goes back to that. ESPN calls the shots. They pretty much determine what time they want their time slots to be, and I think the Sun Belt got caught up in that. I would have hoped, like you said, to be a night maybe a six o'clock kickoff somewhere around there where yes, you're competing with the big 10, but I mean, there's a lot more interest with number one and number two, or, you know, a preview of possibly the national championship game, as opposed to say Michigan and Iowa, no disrespect to Michigan and Iowa. I mean, Michigan's a playoff team, but more people would have changed the channel or been tempted to change the channel a little bit easier and swifter than what, we were competing against with Alabama, Georgia. I mean, come on, Alabama, Georgia, right? So I, I think for me, it's yeah, it's it's a little disappointing for the viewership ratings, but at the same time, we still hosted. We had over 30,000 people at our championship game, and we won. So sure, I think the ratings need to, they, they need to improve, and I think they need to find ways to, you know, work with us a little bit of work with the conference to give us a better time slot. But I think as time goes on too, it's all about supply demand. I think once the conference readjusts itself with the four new teams and you start seeing more ranked teams from the Sun Belt, I think it's going to draw more national interest as well. Let's talk about the out-of-towners that we got to host on Saturday and, and the tailgating experience that we had our guy Matt Sprouse from Group of Five Guys joined us in Lafayette. Uh, we also had a bunch of uh, good App State friends, uh, guys that have been listening to the pod for for a long time. They joined us, and and Josh showed them the Acadiana initiation process that is Corner Bar. Well, yeah, well, two nights in a row, actually. God, but- you ended up there Saturday night, too? Who knows? It might have been Sunday. I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, I, I, my wife did way more than I did. I I, I just ran my mouth. Uh, she was taking them to to the tailgates to eat and serving them and giving them beer and all that stuff. I mean, Catherine was an absolute trooper, but I'll, they they had the time of their lives. You see, I loved listening to the Group of Five episode that they posted yesterday. And, and Matt was talking about his, his trip to Lafayette. And he just got so excited. He said, they have this place called the Corner Bar. He said, yo, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. wild. <laughs> and and then, you know, listening to, to the App State guys, you know, we're feeding them boudin, boudin balls, and gumbo and jambalaya and everything else. And 
they're just like, man, we've never we've never had this before. And not only had they never had it before, they literally thought that it was the best thing ever. Like I remember uh Stu was one of the guys that was with him and um he's big on he's big on Twitter. He always he always messes around with us. But I remember he took a boudin ball and they poured steam syrup over the top of it. And he just thought it was heaven on earth. Well, I learned something from that tailgate. Um, and I, I, his name was Kate, if I remember right, the guy. He told me his Twitter deal, but I forget. Anyway, they had Karchner's boudin balls. I had never tried the Karchner's uh, boudin balls. Very good. Wow. Uh, I, we're getting one right there in the old Schlotzkys, which is, you know, basically walking distance from the house. Yeah, that is, is, that is be, right there for you, isn't it? This is going to be a dangerous trek here most of the day. Most of the time that I have to go down by there. So super good. We had a little bit of everything, gumbo, boudin balls. We had jambalaya. We had crawfish. We had white beans. We had red beans. Uh, I can't really think of any real Cajun experience that they didn't get. And that goes for group of five. That goes for Stu, Trip, all those boys. And then, uh, you know what was weird, though? After the game, usually you can go walk over to Legends and it's packed and popping. Well, it was not packed and was certainly not popping. So we were already there and we didn't want to drive. We decided we were going to walk to Corner Bar. And that was a good decision because it was packed and popping. And, y'all, walked uh, to, you know, y'all walked to Corner Bar from Legends? It's like a, It's like a mile, maybe. That's a long walk. Matt, you need to move to the city. You can walk anywhere. But anyway, we went, and uh, it, it was fun. And, you know, next thing you know, it's 145, and Matt and I are doing the gritty, like, through the people, you know, just putting the, the, the glasses on, grittying it through. It was fun. How, how, much, how much of that night do you remember? I'm not going to incriminate myself is on it, this podcast, is it just, Matt. It's, is it just sparing details, or do you remember the whole thing? I remember everything because I paced myself well, and also I ate. So all you kids you out there doing, listening, make sure you remember you the reaction pod. Do you remember the reaction pod? I'm sure you remembered that one. Um, 80%. There you go. See, <laughs> you go. Good enough. Perfect. Good enough. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll talk about rankings now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time ever that we are simultaneously ranked in all three polls? Last year. Yeah, Were we ranked in all three rankings. last year? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But, but, but I think this, this, is year, so, this year is a little bit different because um, we didn't have a season because last year it was the typical, oh, well, you know, half the college football right. teams didn't play. I mean, we played a full year this year and we still got all three rankings. So that's something to be admired. Yeah. I mean, 16 in the AP, what is it? 17 in the coaches. And then are we 23 in the playoff? 23. 23. Yeah. I mean, which is a, this is a disgrace, but whatever. Well, it's still great. I mean, you, you saw, great. you saw Kirk Herb street. So oh, don't start. Don't, 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 don't even start. Uh, between him and uh, Corso, who needs to be in a freaking nursing home, just blabbing. But you see, it's, a, it's aggravating because I've always respected Kirk Herbstreit. I've always valued Kirk Herbstreit's opinion and what he had to he, say. He's um, always been anti-G5. Yeah, but never, 
I, I don't think it's ever been to the extent that it was on his Twitter page the other day. Well, because they never had to invite us to the party. And now that they're going to have to, now they're pissed. I, Kirk Herbstreet is a cuck to me. That's why I said that on Twitter. You're, you are the problem in collegiate athletics. You are the problem in the FBS. Don't call it the FBS and don't call it D1 football if everybody doesn't have a seat at the table. He, and he is one of the worst ones. And the, the, you have these people that have a microphone and a platform and they spew their crap and they keep us out. And they're just so angry that things fell the way they fell. And now, you know, Cincinnati's in. I guarantee you if Baylor would have won or if Oklahoma State would have beat Baylor, they would probably have been in. Well, I think it's, it's – I think it goes back to what we talked about before. Um, if you're going to – include the G5 well, along with all of FBS, they have just as much of a right to compete for this playoff spot as anybody. And Cincinnati did everything they were supposed to do. The Notre Dame team that was left out was because of Cincinnati. So why shouldn't Cincinnati have a shot at that? And what's even funnier is that Kirk Herbstreit has the audacity to make those comments without really understanding that it took seven or eight different scenarios for everything to go right to allow Cincinnati to still have that privilege of being in a playoff spot. And also to add on top of that, I hope fans understand this, especially fans of the G5, whether no matter where you come from, from the G5, I hope you understand this Cincinnati getting in to the playoff is huge. I don't know if maybe people didn't really notice it on Twitter or social media. I didn't really see as much hype. I know we shared it. But that was a big moment for the G5 that Cincinnati is in. And I know people are going to throw out, well, Alabama's going to destroy them. And if they do, they don't belong. No, nonsense. Okay, because if you look, look at the playoff scores in the past, Michigan State, a P5, got shut out 38 nothing to Alabama. You look at Washington a few years ago. I mean, a bunch of P5. I, even, I hate to say it. I hate to bring it up. What old Louisiana State did to Oklahoma, the Blue Blood, put up 63 on them two years ago, right? What about all these all these P5s? Oh, only they get the right. Well, some of these P5s have gotten spanked over the past six or seven years of, of the playoffs existing. So why shouldn't Cincinnati have a chance just like them? Well, almost every year there's a blowout in the playoff. Almost every year. It, it may have been every year. But, you know, the, the other part of this that nobody talks about is that Cincinnati making the playoff is huge. It sure is. But look at the timing. We're in the middle of college football playoff expansion talks. And Cincinnati had to be put in the college football playoff because there was literally no other excuse to keep them out. So they did it during expansion talks. I think that that's going to pay big dividends later because it, it's, it's topical. I mean, it, it's, we're right in the center of all this stuff and you got a G5 get in there. Now look, what if they win? I mean, I, I know nobody out there thinks they're going to beat Bama, but what if they win during all this going on? I mean, that would be the most that that would change college football forever. I think I think Cincinnati getting into the playoff is going to change college oh, football forever. It, it, it's monumental. And then you, you bring up the chances of Cincinnati winning. They're only a two touchdown dog. I mean, people forget that Georgia basically returned their entire team. And they needed a field goal last second to beat Cincinnati last Georgia year. Georgia only won the game because of what, um, oh, what was his name? Booger McFarland. They were talking about it the other day on ESPN. 
They, they brought that game up from last year, and he said, man, you know, pe- people are talking about the Cincinnati team. Keep in mind, Georgia needed a questionable personal foul call on the last drive to beat them. I mean, they were ahead, and they competed the entire game. And this is mostly the same team that was the number one consensus all season long, most of the season. So, look uh, – the idea that Alabama is just going to run them out of building and they don't have a chance. I don't believe that. I think they have a chance. It doesn't matter if they're a G five school, they have elite talent on defense. They play hard. They have plenty of weapons and they have a a capable quarterback. They have a, they have as good a chance as anybody does. This is, this is interesting. I just found this on social media. Uh, CBS sports has put together a ranking list one through one thirty. Every program in college football, D1. The Cajuns check in at number 16. Uh, Coastal Carolina checks in at 28. App State checks in at 33. LSU checks in at 51. After finishing 6-6. Six and six. <clears throat> Um... Let's see, a couple more Sunbelt teams. This isn't a Sunbelt team, but a team of note. Liberty finished 75th at 7-5. 66th, I'm sorry, 66th. Where did Texas finish? Texas, 59. Good hell. 5-7. and seven. Let's see, Georgia State finished at 73. Um, Old Dominion coming into the Sunbelt, they finished 91st. But this is where it's going to get interesting. Troy at 104, South Al 105, Texas State 106. Now keep in mind, I'm down to number 106. And do you notice what school I haven't mentioned? Give us the grand finale. Georgia Southern at 110, UL Monroe at 114. Congratulations to them. Arkansas State 121, Southern Miss 119. Worst team in America, UConn. At one and eleven, but uh, good old Estonia, you know, big bad, you know, never gonna touch UL. Like UL can never be as great as them. The 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 gap, the margin between Louisiana and Louisiana Tech is a hundred and one spots. La Tech finished at one seventeen with a three and nine record. We need a, what we an need honor! A screen grab of that. Yeah. What an honor! What an honor to to make the triple digits, the triple digit margin there, or the triple digit deficit there. Congratulations! You know, separation. They talked oh, about it separation for a long by time, tri- and, and I didn't realize hey. that you know they were correct that we separation were separated. There, there is separation. there is a separation. Triple digits, baby. And um, <laughs> those interested to know. Billy Napier's new program, University of Florida, finished at 63rd hmm. with a 6-6 six and six record. They'll work their way back up. Oh, man, you know, I, I was saying that the other night when I, when I sat down with, with Dustin from In All Kinds of Weather. He um, he asked me realistically what I what I think Billy Napier will do at Florida. And I said, dude, he's going to win the national championships. He's going to. I said, you give him the resources necessary to recruit the correct players, Hire the correct coaches, and 
you so the thing that worked at Louisiana is and I've I've heard this from numerous people that have had eyes and ears in the program. It didn't work to where Billy said, "Hey, this is what we should do." From what I was told in meetings, Billy would sit there and go, "Look, this is what worked at Alabama." This is what we need to do. Like, you need to hire a full-time nutrition staff. You need to have doctors in the performance center. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know we had full-time medical staff in the performance center? Like, the players didn't have to go to a doctor's office? I didn't. I just learned that the other day. That's wild. Um, And, and you know, just, just little things like that that can make a big difference in, in your program. If Florida is willing to invest the money necessary to make those things happen, and I'm sure I'm not doubting Florida that they probably already have something like that happening, they're going to win national championships. They are. Billy Napier is one of the best coaches in America. Do you know how many LSU fans have told me, God, I wish we would have got him? Especially today, now that he took Corey Raymond. Well... You know the fans. I know quite a few fans that wanted him too, but you know the 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 higher ups. We we can't hire the ulala guy. We don't want the guy from ULL. Can't can't get the ulala guy to turn our program around because we have too much of an ego to uh, to have that. So we'll uh, go pay we'll go pay Brian Kelly a hundred million or ninety five million. Basically, hey, remember, do, to basically remember, do almost the same thing. Remember, to basically almost to basically almost do the same thing that Billy would have done there anyway. But whatever, he's, he's there. He's there with his family. Well, well, he's there with his family after they offered Jimbo thirteen million a year. So that whole we got our guy crap was crap, and we knew it. But going back to Billy, could we have done any better for ourselves? A guy comes here, cultivates a great program elevates us to new heights, then goes to a rival of LSU's after they basically uh, disrespect him. And now he's coming back into Louisiana, taking taking their recruits and taking their coaches, their best coach, Corey Raymond. Yep. This is, this is, you cannot write a better script for, for us, but you can't, it's too much fun. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. That's how much fun I'm having. Last topic before we had to break. Thoughts on returning to the New Orleans Bowl? It's it's a bowl. Um, at this point, you know, Nick Saban answered the question a few years ago. There were there was a guy in the media that asked him, Coach, why 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 are players opting out of bowls? And he said, because you guys in the media are hyping up the playoff to where playoffs where they're the only important thing. Bowl game, whether it's New Orleans Bowl. Uh, Texas Bowl, the Independence Bowl, whatever, the Belk Bowl, whatever. I don't know. I don't even know if the Belk Bowl is there anymore. But the Liberty Bowl, they, they really don't matter as much because they're not playoff games. So, to me, whether we go the new – I know there's a lot of fans that some are happy, some are kind of like, man, can we do something else with the season we've had? But the situation of the bowl scenario these days, it, it really – they're not as emphasized as the playoff. So, to me – whether we go to New Orleans, whether we go here, whether we go there, I think what's more upsetting to some of the fans was why did we draw seven and five Marshall, right? For me, I'm okay with playing Marshall because at least Marshall's a brand. They're a respectable program. 
it's a little frustrating because they are a future opponent. We're going to see them in conference a lot, but at the same time, it's a brand name and it's a respectable brand name. I've always watched Marshall. I've always had respect for Marshall. We've befriended a lot of Marshall fans over the last few months, but I, you know, to me, it's almost indifferent because not necessarily about the bowl game, but just the fact that bowl season in general, it's kind of watered down as it compared to what it was seven years ago before the playoffs were created. So I'm just happy to make a bowl. I just want to win this bowl. And I know we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but this is coach Mike Desermo's first game. It's a really tough test to begin with a postseason game. So uh, look, I, I know I can't make it for personal reasons, but I'm still going to watch. I'm still going to yell at my TV and I'm hoping the Cajuns finish the season strong and go 13 and one. Well, you know, I'll tell you this, uh, the, to the fans that are complaining about the new Orleans bowl, I hope you're, uh, I hope you're used to it because if I understand correctly, the bowl contracts restarted in 2019 for six years. And in that six year span, the new Orleans bowl has the first right of refusal to Louisiana four times. So the meaning if Louisiana's bowl eligible, four out of those six years, Louisiana the New Orleans Bowl can pick Louisiana regardless of whether they win the conference or not. And one more thing, and, and Josh, you go ahead and, and speak your piece after this. What I want to make a point about bowl games in general, especially for G five schools. Most schools don't make money if you don't sell out your ticket allotment. So it's easy for a P5, like an Ohio State, to go. They can go play in, in California. They're going to sell their ticket a lot, and they're going to make money. They're going to generate revenue. Southern Miss went to Hawaii when they won Conference USA in 2011 and took a spanking financially because nobody could go to their game. You're not going to have 10,000 Southern Miss fans fly to Honolulu during Christmas time, right? That's kind of the same situation here financially. Going to New Orleans is the most suitable for Louisiana because we know we're going to bring fans. Even if we don't bring the 40,000 fans we've brought in the past, bringing a fourth of that is still going to make generate revenue and make money for the school and the conference. So I do want fans to know that where, you know, unlike a P5 where you, you, you know, you, you could sell out all your allotment a lot easier G5s don't really have that advantage because they don't really have the fan base to do, to, to bring across the country and sell out all their tickets. So that is another thing I want people to, to understand and, and, and consider that going to new Orleans is a fiscal um, decision, just as much as it is a convenience factor of going two hours away. I was going to give a negative and a positive. That was my positive where we have an opportunity to not lose a ton of money on this bowl because of proximity, because of familiarity, uh, because of a few different things. If, but but I'll tell you this about on that front, if people think we're bringing forty thousand people to New Orleans in, in a week in a week and a half, it's not happening. I'm telling you right now, with everything that's going on in New Orleans, with the opponent, with everything we just shelled out for a Sun Belt Conference Championship at home, I can already tell you I've talked to people that would typically go on the trip, and I'm basically having to convince them to go. We're not going to have twenty five thousand people. I'll I will be shocked if we have twenty, and that's the truth. I know we have a decent contingency in New Orleans and. I think we'll probably bring anywhere from seven to 10 from Lafayette, but th- we're not going to have a hood crowd. We're not going to have 40 and 50,000. That's not going to happen. So I hope nobody gets their hopes up for that, but 
but it is a positive from a financial standpoint because our allotment, I don't remember what it was in 2016, but it was somewhere around 20, right, Jerry? Was it 22 or 18 or something like that? I think it was less than that, man. I want to say it was like close to 10 or 15. Oh, was it? Okay, well, yeah. I, I might have remembered that wrong, but I know that the allotment isn't near what we brought uh, the first few times. So we're, we're going to be okay financially uh, if you buy your tickets through UL, and you should do that. But, I mean, let's be honest. we got to level with people and tell people the truth. It's a letdown. You go 12-1, and one, you're the 16th-ranked team in the country. You're in the college football playoff. You're, you're 17 in the coaches, and you go to play a five-loss team in the Dome two and a half hours away. I mean, what's exciting about that? Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, the whole deal. And I understand that going to a bowl is a privilege and it's great and everything, but like we have fans that have some expectation now, and it's great, but that is a letdown. There, there's no two ways. that That's true. And I think it's the wrong strategy to take to just say, well, we should be in a bowl game and, and you know, the New Orleans Bowl is a great bowl. No, it isn't. Nobody gives a shit about the damn New Orleans Bowl. Honestly, I mean, can we be honest about that? Like we should be in the damn, we should be in Atlanta or, or we should be, we should be in Dallas. I would have taken the, the uh, Alamo bowl. I would have taken the Texas bowl. I would have taken, uh, give me something that's a little bit later. Give me something that's in a better time slot. Give me something that, that our, tra- our fans have never traveled to. I don't know. I think Not 12 and happen. one and yeah, I, I think, I think Jerry and I talked about another bowl scenario, but like you said, Matt, I know the New Orleans Bowl has some sort of control over who goes, but I can tell you this, we're getting ready to add four teams. So you have to expect we'll get at least two more tie-ins. Hopefully, if we get at one to two more tie-ins, hopefully some of those bowls are, you know, more prestigious bowls, better payouts. Uh, the New Orleans Bowl actually has a decent payout, but maybe we can get something a little bit better for our teams and for our league. I don't like our bowl tie-ins at all. Uh, that's just my own opinion. Uh, something maybe we can ask Keith Gill about. Yeah, but I go back. No, man. So if, if I go if I go twelve and one and I'm ranked and I'm just I'm literally the second ranked G five team in the country, I should not be playing in New Orleans on December the eighteenth. Sorry, as a fan, as a diehard fan, yeah, I'm gonna go. As a casual fan, I'm going to myself. How is this possible? How can we have a historic season and end up in the same place we did when we were nine and four? How, how is that possible? Because the P five wins every time. Well, it's because we well, have shitty bowl tie-ins and we have a bad well that address. that too. But even even it's if tie-ins we, guys, even even it's, if we didn't even if we didn't have shitty tie-ins, I'm telling you right now, a seven and five BYU is is going to be in Dallas before we are. I'm glad you brought up BYU because we had the opportunity to play in that bowl. This is the bowl Jerry and I were talking about. BYU is playing a seven and five non-conference champion five loss UAB team. There is absolutely no reason that 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 game should be number 14 BYU playing UAB seven and five non-conference champion. The Cajuns should be in that bowl. Number 16, 12 and one conference champion that we should be in that bowl. That's the bowl that's going to get eyes and viewers. And we all, we've all been told the reason why our games move all over the week is because we need eyes. That's where it's the that's where the money is. Well, there should have been something there. There should be, if there is not, there should be some sort of clause in that tie-in that says if there's a better opportunity, a ranked team or a conference champion should have some sort of leverage to be able to move into a better bowl 
I, I don't see why that's not reasonable. If you have a conference champion that's nine and three, nine and four, okay, maybe you have something, you know, you can't complain about that. But literally the, the second highest G5 team in the country should be able to have the opportunity to play a ranked team in a bigger bowl on national television. If we win six or more games the next four years, we're going to play in the New Orleans Bowl each of those four seasons. Regardless of who the champ is, regardless of anything, because the first two years of the contract, we didn't go to the New Orleans Bowl. We were in the Lending Tree Bowl, and then we were in the First Responder Bowl last year. You know, Josh, I want to add, um, not to add uh, insult to injury, but in 2016, the last time we went to the New Orleans Bowl, we were six and six as well as Southern Miss. Both teams were six and six playing for a winning season. But again, I go back to, or I allude back to just the way the bowl season is now. I mean, I agree. I look the independence bowl against a ranked BYU team would have been awesome. I think, and honestly, I think that would have been a better, obviously a better matchup. No disrespect to Marshall, but real quick, Jerry, before you make your point, how do you think coastal Carolina shot up, shot up from the pits of college football to be, uh, you know, recognized and they got all this fame and, and, and the reason why was because the media got a, got a hold of them and, that were recognizable and they played that BYU game where it had to be rescheduled and all that stuff. You don't think that the the opponent matters? Oh my God. This is something that Cajun people don't understand. Cajun fans. I mean, we can go and beat the hell out of South Alabama and Texas state. And we say, well, well, why, why don't we do it in front of 18,000 people? Because if you're playing South Alabama or if you're playing Alabama rather than South Alabama, that 18,000 is going to be 36,000. And in this bowl game, if we're playing in New Orleans against, uh, I don't know, if, say, BYU is in the New Orleans Bowl rather than Marshall. No shot at Marshall. Good program. Whatever. Just saying. It's a five-loss conference, a non-conference USA champion. If it's BYU in the New Orleans Bowl, I'm, a, I'm jumping around this bitch and I'm happy because that's going to get eyes. Nobody, nobody's watching. I, I just don't see a lot of people watching Marshall and us. I, I just don't see it. Well, and And... We deserve better than when we were six and six. It's the same goddamn bowl we played in when we were six and six and we're twelve and one had a historic season. That 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 tells me that the bowl tie-in is very bad. It's not necessarily a bad bowl. The tie-in is bad. We should have more leverage in where we go because financially it impacts us from branding standpoint, ticket allotment, just attention for the program. I mean, think about that. Well, the truth, the truth is simple, man. If it, even in the New Orleans Bowl, if we would have played BYU, if BYU would have replaced Marshall in the New Orleans Bowl, I think more people would have been okay with that. I think it. I think what's kind of dampened the quote-unquote excitement is the fact that we are playing a seven and five Conference USA team when we won. We, I mean, we're we're sixteenth in the poll. Champion. We won the conference. I mean, we we have we're, we have the second longest win streak in America, and, and we're playing we're playing. A seven and five conference USA school. I mean, I get it. I understand it. At the same time, again, um, I, I don't know, man. I, I have a different opinion of the bowl season in general. Look, I love being in bowl games. I just don't. I, I think the playoffs water down a lot of a lot of this this talk. I just do, and I just think national interest wouldn't matter regardless of who we would play outside of if we were to play a a P five, like you said, somewhere like the Alamo Bowl, but they're not going to give a G5 a chance there. They're just not. So you just kind of play with the, it's almost like poker. You play with the hand you're dealt. They're definitely not going to go give it to a G5 over a bowl eligible G5. 
just not going to happen. We'll take a break right here, and when we come back, we say so long to the Billy Napier era and hello to the Mike Desremo era. Uh, we'll talk about the press conference. We'll talk about the hire. We'll talk about the staff changes and how it impacts recruiting. And then in the final segment, we go good, bad, and ugly on the student section. As well as Cajuns in the NFL and Cajuns in Vegas. Don't go anywhere. Rage interviews right back after this. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry A. Bear, and Man About Town, Josh Jagno. Yesterday was the introductory press conference for Mike Desremo as the new head football coach for the Louisiana Region Cajuns. He is the 27th head coach in program history. And this one's probably. The, the, word that, the word that Mike threw around a lot was personal. Uh, this one is the one that's probably the most personal. You know, grew up here, played here, left to go coach high schools here in the area, came back, worked under HUD for a couple of years. When Napier showed up, out of the 10 full-time assistants that HUD had, Des was the only one that was retained by Billy Napier. And then every year that Billy Napier was here, Des received some sort of promotion. He went from, you know, offensive analyst to running backs coach to tight ends coach to co-offensive coordinator to now being the head coach. And, and you know, my biggest thing with Des is it kind of feels like one of us is leading our team now, right? You know, Des is the kind of guy that you could see yourself sitting next to in the stands and talking shit with while you're watching the Cajuns. Now that guy is the leader of the team, which I, I just think is cool. I definitely think that Brian Maggard hit it out of the park again. I was skeptical at first. Uh, I had my I had my qualms as to why I thought that this may not be a good move. But the more that I've kind of sat here to to think about it and you know, I talk to some players, get their thoughts, and you know, so on and so forth. I'm sold. This guy is going to do big things. 
for our football program. I think one, one thing I've got out of, of coach Des, or I mean, I just known him as Mike, but got to call him coach Des now he's the head guy. Very happy for that, for, for him. Um, one thing I've learned about him over the past 15 or so years since he's been associated with the program from being a player to now the head coach, number one, he's studious. Number two, he's a genuine guy. Number three, he's, he's, his football IQ is through the roof. Very, very smart. Number four, he's detail oriented. Number five, he's a competitor. Number six, he hates to lose. Okay. To me, he's almost like Billy Napier as far as his personality his characteristics, his attention to detail. He's, and he's very, very, I guess the way he processes things, it's very structured. He's been like that since he was a player. He's like that now. I think that's what people meant and what Dr. Maggard meant as far as someone keeping the culture going, keeping the process going. Mike Desimo checks off all the boxes there because he's so much like Billy. Now I know people are going to doubt his experience. I know people are like, well, he didn't, you know, he didn't coach anywhere else. He's a local guy. It's true that the experience came to him. When you have a guy like Billy Napier who coached under Nick Saban and basically implemented Nick Saban's process, Mike Desermo indirectly learned from someone like Nick Saban because the process that Billy implemented came from him. So and to me, at this point, it's really about the connections. I think if if Coach Des could get some some good coaches to replace guys like Coach Jaluk, Coach Tony, Mark Hockey, and Strength and Conditioning, if he can bring those guys in or guys very similar to those coaches who left with Billy to go to Florida, we're going to be fine. We're going to be exactly where we need to be. And knowing that that Coach Des is very passionate. And it's personal with him knowing that this is his alma mater and his school. He's going to want to elevate this program to the next level higher than where we are now. So he's going to wear it on a sleeve and I'm looking forward to it. And I congratulate uh, Mike on his endeavor and being the new head Cajun football coach. I'm 100% on the death train. So let's get it rolling. Those are all really good points. Um, you know, one of the things that we do here is we tell the truth. We, we tell our genuine opinion. I think that it is perfectly fine for people in our fan base to have the opinion of, well, he's not ready because I'll be honest with you. That was my very first thought. Mike's not ready. How could he be ready? He's only coached here. How could he be ready? He, he's never even been a, a coordinator. That's the very first thing you think of. But I think level-headed people have kind of stepped back from the ledge and thought they thought their way through it, and they thought he's been under a system that has had unprecedented success. He has the endorsement from Rob Sale. He has the endorsement from Billy Napier. He's got the confidence of Brian Maggard, which, by the way, is taking a gigantic leap of faith on Mike. He could have gone out and gotten a name because we know some names that, that interviewed and they would have won the press conference. But I can tell you, boys, I'm not interested in winning the press conference. I'm, I'm interested in winning football games. I can tell you that, you know, another thing that was concerning before I move on to the positives is 
the rumors were that if Mike stayed, a lot of the staff and, and uh, support staff would say and stay in place. Well, we all knew that we were going to lose hockey and we knew we were going to lose Jaluk. We knew we were going to lose PT. We were hopeful that PT would stick around, but that guy is just a shooting star. You know, he, he was poised. My, 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 my surprise actually was losing guys like, you know, uh, Joe Hamilton and, and Kyle and uh, Ryan O'Hara. And, and these support guys that are really unsung around here, lots of people don't know these names because they, they filled a support role and an analyst role. They didn't get a lot of headlines. Recruiters, I mean, relentless recruiters. Is it, is it normal and is it okay? And is it just human nature to be concerned? I think it's fine. I'm not mad at those people. I understand it. But if I could just bring it back to the middle is, look, We've never had one of our own be our head coach. So that is something that we should support regardless. Regardless if we agree with the hire, regardless if we like the hire, we should support Mike more than we've ever supported a coach. He's one of us. I mean, hell, Jerry and me to a certain extent grew up with him. Uh, I had plenty of personal opportunities to hang out with Mike, you know, outside of football and outside of the occasions. They're excellent people. He and Lindsay are great and their kids are awesome. So, He's one of us. He lives like us. He represents us. You know, look at his press conference. You know, at one point he says, let's make it short. I got beer and jambalaya back here. You know, that, that he, in my opinion, maybe he won the damn press conference. You never know. Uh, but the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. And Brian nailed it when he said, we're just trying to keep things in place. We don't need to hire somebody to come in here and start over. What we have in place is pretty great. Mike was in close proximity to Rob, Sale, and Billy Napier more than anybody on that staff. He was the most ready. He was the most qualified from, from, from the system that was put in place by Billy. Now I know he doesn't have experience as a head coach and I know he doesn't have experience as a coordinator, but he was the most accessible and the most present to those guys throughout the time that they implemented their program at Louisiana football. So if you step away and you look at it, it makes a whole lot of sense. 775 a year is a base salary. I mean, you're basically starting about where Billy started. He was a first-time head coach. He's got incentives. If he hits those incentives, we'll be a very successful program, and he'll be a rich man. It works for both sides. I really have no qualms with the dollar signs and, and, the, uh, and the way that it's, it's constructed. I think it's fair. And you also have to set a floor that is representative of a good job and an attractive job, and I think Brian did a good job of that. I loved as I loved as as uh, as a player. I loved him as a recruiter, and I think I'm going to love him as a coach. Look at the kids' reactions when he when he got named head coach. You know, when you put them all together, when you put all the pieces together, and you step away, I know guys and fans out there. You didn't get your big time coaching search, and you didn't get your head your headlines on ESPN because you hired a Georgia assistant or a Ole Miss assistant. Understand all that stuff because it would have been fun and exciting. But at the end of the day. Do you want to win the press conference or do you want to win football games? I think Brian wants to win games like we do. And I think it's a good hire. Troy hired Chip Lindsay a few years ago, Auburn offensive coordinator, the up and coming offensive guru. Where's he at now? Troy just introduced a new head coach just the other day. Same thing with Joe Brady. Up and comer. Going to be this great offensive mind. He's going to be a head coach one day and do great things. 
He's now unemployed. So sometimes the name isn't as flashy as the performance on the field. Billy Napier wasn't a flashy name when we hired him. He was actually kind of opposite of what we were used to for a long time when he, when he spoke in his first press conference. Soft-spoken, pretty chill, very business-focused. The results, you know, he didn't have to rah-rah fans because the results spoke for themselves on the field. I'm getting that same vibe about Mike. And I do think he will garner support. He is one of us. He's a local guy. I remember seeing Mike on campus going to class when I was a student here, you know? I mean, I, I was an equipment manager when he was the quarterback. He was actually one of my players. Like, a big Lynn used to give us 10 players apiece. We'd pick them. Mike was one of my players. So I, I know that. I know the type of person he is. I know the type of competitor he is. And if the Mike I knew as a player is indicative of what he is as a coach, we're going to have some competitive teams and we're going to have a team with some attitude, but they're going to be, they're going to be focused. And I'm really excited to see what he can do. And I want to add this little thing. The reason why you guys listen to us is because we're not administrator ass kissers. I'll, I'll never be that. I get in trouble for the shit I say here. I'm telling you, back the hire because of all the reasons we just stated. I'm not just telling you to back the hire because I'm I've been told to or or we're 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 like uh like shills or something like that. If you stop and think about it, really stop and think about it. Forget all the national coaching searches and all the I know you guys wanted a flashy name, and I know you think that it was a, you know, some people are saying we USL did. Well, I can, I can certainly tell you we didn't USL anything because swim coach has been gone for a while. Audemars has been gone for a while. All of those people that were in power before, well, most of the people that were in power before uh, Dr. Sabwa took over, they're powerless now. Are they gone? We have a new regime running this thing and, and, that you can put your faith in that because again the results speak for themselves. I got a question. Who made the hire? Who okayed the hire? Who offered Mike the job? And really, that's the bottom line. And let me ask you this: not only I'll ask you, not only was it him that offered the job, but has he ever USL'd anything since he's been here? He's been the opposite of it. I mean, people will say so, he extended right. He, people will say he extended Marlin, and that's kind of hard to argue with. But outside of that, you're right. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, even then, but he, he didn't USL it. I mean, that was after one of our best seasons in a long time. It wasn't because we were going 500, you know? So maybe fans could say, did, it, did we jump the gun on that? Okay, that's fair. But it wasn't the typical, well, my cousin's friend's sister knows this guy, so I'm going to hire him like we used to do. They went through a very aggressive process in a short amount of time. They vetted some really good names. Mike won the contest and got the job just like any other business, just like any other job. Mike, Mike, Mike won. Mike got it. So he's the head coach. Like you said, Josh, $755,000 a year for four years, um, a load of incentives, you know, the usual uh, head coaching incentives, uh, courtesy vehicles, cell phone allowance, blah, blah, blah. So on and so forth. You know, one thing that everybody tends to ask when you get a new head coach is how does it hurt recruiting? Like Desermo has recruited 35% of our roster as well as this year's recruiting class, including 
Zion Chris, the quarterback from Madison Prep. A lot of people regard him as the top recruit in, in this in this class that we have coming in. And I heard from a lot of people that they were very worried that Chris would decommit when Napier announced he was going to Florida. Well, I can tell you that from what I've been told, Zeon Chris not only is still committed to the Cajuns, he's going to sign early. He's going to sign next week. Yeah, the coach Doak tweeted out a picture of him today. So, so that's great. Rest assured. And look, there's going to be some some attrition because PT's taking a couple of his guys to Florida. There are some, you know, even even Mike said the other day on uh, on Scott's show that. A few of the early signing period recruits were 100% still on. Some of them had their concerns, well, that's which, gonna again, is going to happen. But these guys still have relationships with, with hit coaches across the state on the high school level, and it's better. those relationships are better and more closely tied together than we've ever experienced. And a lot of that has to do with Mike and, and Tim Leger, and he needs to get a shout-out too. The recruiting class after the signing period is still the same recruiting class. We're still going to be fine. We're still going to be fine. We might have to replace some guys. We have a lot of good young talent in the program right now, and we'll and we will backload. It'll it'll be fine from a recruiting standpoint. But I know people first jump to the conclusion, oh well, how many how many recruits are we going to lose? And and again, I, I get it. I think a good a good test will be, or a good indicator is going to be the bowl game. If, if we can go in and basically continue what we started and continue the momentum of what we've left off over the past 12 games and win that bowl game and solidify the season with, with a trophy, another trophy, I, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be as worried. I'm not going to worry. I mean, I'm not even worried now, but I'm just saying like, I think the concern should really go away because it's, you're basically, mo- you're, you're basically just continuing where Billy left off. So you win the bowl game. The perception is going to be huge if you're able to get the job done there. And even though early signing day, you may, you may lose one or two guys, but then signing day come February, full steam ahead. I mean, I, I agree with Dr. Maggard. The, the best days of, of Raging Cajun Athletics are, are ahead of us. It only, it only goes up from here. You know, and the three of us have said it all along now. There, there are no hard feelings against Billy Napier or anybody that left Louisiana to join his staff. We totally get it. It's the name of the game. Who who says no to Florida? I know. I sure as hell wouldn't. You know me. I love the Cajuns. But if Florida called me and said, hey, you know, come be our director of communications, I'm on the first flight to Gainesville. Josh, why don't you go ahead and explain your disdain for the I root for all teams I I cannot wait for this. So this was born out of uh uh you know some some uh, banter back and forth on the social media there. You know for a long time Cajun fans have had a, a low self-esteem. We talk about that all the time. They feel like they have they have this weird innate feeling that they have to bend the knee to Baton Rouge. And I, I just always push back on that. And anytime, especially social media now you can have a conversation with any kind of person. Anytime that comes up, I I take the opportunity to say, well, you know, I like what we have over here. I like our identity. 
I like what we're building. I'd much rather build a program than jump on a bandwagon. And, and these, these cancer alley folks just, they just cannot understand that. If they think that we're so upset by, by the, you know, they, the, the answer is always LSU doesn't care about UL. That couldn't be further from the truth. We know that. Then they'll say, we, we, uh, we, we, we don't, we don't care. And we, we, we root for all in-state schools. We root for all in-state schools. Uh, but how come you haven't said anything when we're having historic seasons? How come, how come you haven't said, I haven't seen a single LSU person that typically, like the one guy that was trying to fuss on there, he, he says, hey, uh, UL alumni here and, uh, and uh, Cajun fan. Well, you scroll three down on his Twitter posts or whatever, and it's a STTDB. You know what I mean? These are the people that claim that they're Cajun fans and diehard Cajun fans. We've been doing this a long time. We know that there is no such thing as Cajun fans, and I root for all state schools. If you're a diehard fan, okay, there's no such thing as a half-truth, and there's no such thing as a half-fan. You either are or you aren't. And these people that think, well, it's two different levels of football, actually it isn't. It's FBS, the SEC is in the FBS, just like the Sunbelt Conference is in the FBS. Had we beaten Texas and had Cincinnati lost, we had a real chance to play in a college football playoff or somewhere in the New Year's Six, which if LSU would have showed up to play football this year, we could have been paired with a team like LSU. So we actually do play on the same level. This idea that we're not on the same level, maybe there was a time where that did not exist, but that is gone. I'm not the kind of person that's going to sit here and take shit off of an LSU fan because I, I don't have the need to, to acquiesce to Baton Rouge. Never going to be that. Uh, sometimes I feel like we need to explain to our fans, you don't have to wave the purple and puke flag. You know, Just because you live in the state doesn't mean you have to bow to Baton Rouge. You're, you're from Lafayette. You went to school here. Be a Cajuns fan. You don't have to, you don't have to root for LSU. It's foolishness. I think think the difference is that when they say I root for all state schools, it's kind of like a second afterthought, right? When the Cajuns lose, okay, they lost big deal. But you see, this is where the difference comes in. And this is, and I've, look, I've got a ton of family and friends that went to LSU. You know me, I'm, I'm more, I pull for my school. That's how I stand. And I, and we'll, we'll trash talk every once in a while, but here's where I don't like the double standard here. So the whole, I root for all schools, Right. Well, if the Cajuns win, oh, good for them. But if they lose, it's okay. They lost big deal. No, whatever. I move on. Go Tigers. On the other hand, we pull for the Cajuns and, you know, even let's say we pull for LSU. Great. Let's say LSU loses those fans. We see, we're not allowed to say, oh, LSU lost. No big deal. Okay. Whatever. Just like they do. If the Cajuns lose, see the double standard comes in when their fans, they, when LSU loses, well, why aren't you upset? Why aren't you mad? You're supposed to be upset like us. It's like, wait a second. No, if you're passive about us losing, but yet you pull for us, I have just as much of a right to be passive about the Tigers losing. I'm not going to have a day of mourning because the Tigers lost to Alabama, okay? They're not my team. I didn't go there. I'm a UL grad. I don't owe LSU anything. I had this one guy on Twitter, another, a couillon, if you will. He was like, well, I don't, he's like, I don't, um, you know, you're ooh-la-la, the typical know your place you know, the know your place ran as most Walmart fans like to claim. And I'm like, well, I don't know LSU anything. Well, yeah, you do. They're the state school. 
oh, so we have to know our place, but then we have to bow to you. No, dude, that's not how this works. We have allegiance to the school we went to. And also, My degree says University of Louisiana Lafayette, or at Lafayette, the official name. And, and We say Louisiana. We say Louisiana from a sports brand point, right? I mean. And, and, and also, the, the argument that I love to throw back at LSU fans, you're not the state school. There is no state school. There is no more flagship university. That was outdone with about five years ago. But most who cares? Them, most of them don't know that. Just like they don't know what the actual name of the school is. This is how dense these people are. And I just want to say for the record, I hate LSU and I root against LSU. I got to remember, I got to remind people out there because Jerry just there said we might root for LSU. I would never root for LSU. Ever. No, 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 ever, no, ever, ever, not, ever, 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 that's not, ever, no, no, ever, no, 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 ever. no, I'm not, I'm talking about fans in general that some Cajun fans may pull for them. I'm not saying I do. I'm oh, indifferent to them. I'm I indifferent to them. I should have corrected myself there. I'm indifferent to them. But what I, one thing I will say, and the reason why I brought up my degree says University of Louisiana at Lafayette is because that's our official school name, but if we brand ourselves Louisiana, big deal. It's like you said about the official name at LSU. Your name's not LSU. It's Louisiana State University. They've, got, a, Mechanical they, they've, they've got an inferiority complex in, in, in Baton Rouge, or as I like to call it, SDS, which stands for small <laughs> syndrome. LDS is what I normally say, but yeah, it's the same thing. But but here's the thing. Well, you're 0-22 against us, but we, we should be. You have a $160 million budget. Give me a $160 million budget, and don't be scared to play us, and I bet you you're not going to be 0-22. And, and I'm waxing the floor with you. We're doing, we're doing more with less, and you're doing less than, with more than anybody in this country. Not well, to mention you're an embarrassment with all your damn baggage that you have nationally with your with your uh, you know investigations and whatnot. You, they have nothing to say to us. Yeah, and, and it gets old. It gets old. And, and yeah, sometimes we get carried away on Twitter and we're going to try to curtail that a little bit because we don't want to attract the trolls. But I just want the, the entire point of that is to establish a baseline. We are who we are. We don't have to be anybody else. We don't have to apologize for it. And we damn sure aren't going to bend the damn knee. Never. And we need more fans like that. We don't have enough of them. We have a few. Most of them listen to us and, and, you know, are in our camp on the social sites, but we need more of them. We don't have nearly enough. Well, I think, I think it, it boils down to this. We, we're fans of the school we went to. We're fans of our school. We don't owe you anything just because the other people who didn't go to your school want to pull for you and jump on the bandwagon. That's, that's, that's fine. Hey, bring them all on. I, bring them all on the bandwagon. I don't care. I have allegiance to the school I went to just like you, like, just like you two do. So if you get upset that, you know, we don't have a day of mourning when the Tigers lose to the Crimson Tide, well, too bad, you know, because you're just as indifferent as, as we are when the Cajuns lose. You don't care. You really don't. No. You say you pull, but you don't care. No, you know, so the, the I, last thing, the last point I'll make about it is the guy that really bothers me the most is guy who went to UL and then tries to lecture me about the obligation to pull for a quote unquote the state's cool. Dude, not only are you ignorant, you don't know the history, you don't know the politics, you don't know the money involved, you don't know the political apparatus, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. If you think that you graduated from this university and you're obligated to pull for the quote-unquote state school, which, like Matt said, is not the state school, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're wasting my time, I'm wasting yours. We shouldn't even have a conversation. The fact of the matter is we have the university that we went to, you 
don't have to pull for them. They're not us. We are not them. We're totally different. We've established ourselves finally in sports. And the people that have the obligation are the LDS guys, the inferiority guys, the ones that would rather jump on a winner bandwagon, which, by the way, they haven't had a winning season in two calendar years, but let's not even go there. Um, Those people would rather jump on the winner bandwagon than stick with us here in Lafayette and build this program. You know why it was so amazing to rush the field after being 12-1 and and conference champion? The reason why it was so gratifying and amazing is because we, we sat through sewage for 30 years. Right, Jerry? We sat oh my through gosh. And, and And look, we, like I said in the postgame, we built this. We did it. We invested. We put our money, our, our disposable income in trying to do this. We spend 40 hours a week with this podcast. We go to the games. We entertain the, the fans uh, from other programs. We are vocal on the boards. We did this shit. LSU has, they, they don't need you, buddy. They don't need you, UL grad. They don't need you. They have their Walmart fans. What we need is people to stick with us and stay in the foxhole and fight that shit and build this program to what it can be. And I know I'm preaching a little bit here, but maybe some people need to hear that. Uh, look, it's, I mean, it's, it, look, we, we're doing, basically it's this, we have a $40 million budget. We have a budget that's less than the SEC TV contract and yet we're ranked and we're doing a lot more with very little. Give me that all day as a grind, it's like Tony Robichaud's baseball team at 14, right? The grinders, they had to earn everything. You didn't, we didn't play in a palace. You know, we didn't have the, we didn't look the prettiest, but we grinded. We earn respect by the way we, 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 we just that blue. That's the thing about our programs, man. We're blue collar. We're not, we're not, we're not the, we're not the, uh, the, the, the bourgeois. We're, we're a blue collar program. Well, it's, it's a about. reflection. It's a direct reflection of our people and our community. That's why I love it here. So our, our program reflects who we are. LSU does not reflect Baton Rouge. Well, well, maybe they do. But you think Brian Kelly has anything in common with somebody from Denham Springs? You've got to be kidding me. Well, he's glad to be with his family. With his family. No, anyways. Student section Saturday. Um, the good is that they showed up. In loads. God, they showed up. Um, the bad. I don't know if there's really a bad here. I will tell you that there's an ugly. There's actually a lot of ugly. I'll go ahead and get into that. Let's do that. So for the listeners that don't know, I'm currently still a student at UL. I am going to go ahead and just apologize for my fellow classmates because some of them were absolutely ruthless on Saturday. Jerry, you you didn't get to meet the guys that, that Josh and I hung out with at the tailgate Saturday, but Josh, you and I can agree that the App State fans that we hung out with Saturday were, you know, Probably some of the best people we've ever met. Well, yeah. Well, I've known those guys since Boone. So, but still, they're fantastic people. Uh, I, I I know what you're getting ready to say. Well, I'll go ahead and let you make your point, then I'll I'll rebut. the The fact that the fact that App State fans 
had to report beers getting spilled on them, being spit on among, you know, vulgarities being shouted at them, what have you. We're better than that. There, I, I made this point to somebody at the game. There is a way to talk trash and get in the head of fans and whatever. But there's still a line of respect that you just don't cross. There's just not. You, you, don't, cross, you don't cross that line. And our student body crossed that line on Saturday, and I'm embarrassed. Let me start out by saying, and I go back to we don't have a tradition of winning, so everybody's still learning how to do this. But when you go to Walmart, you expect it to be dirty and overcrowded. When you go to McDonald's, you expect them to screw your order up. There is a certain degree of expectation when you go to a collegiate football game that you have to expect some things. And some of those things are you're going to encounter incredibly drunk teenage to 22-year-old people. Now, there is absolutely a line. You do not spit on people. I can tell you right now, if somebody spits on me, we're fighting. I'm coming after you, period. Uh, that is that is disgusting. I was upset about that. I would not insult a mother and her child with obscenities. I wouldn't do that. Now, what I've done at 19, uh, there's a chance. But you grow up, you, you learn, you know, I mean, you, 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 the, the people sitting on the home side are a lot different than the, the, we have different roles, right? In the stadium, the students and Jerry, we've talked about this many times. The student's role is to be intimidating. And sometimes they take it a little overboard, but look, when you shove a bunch of 20 somethings in a tailgate area and feed them beer for four, five, six hours, things are going to happen. So I'm not going to just totally destroy our student section. I'm, I'm thrilled that they showed up. I'm thrilled that they were passionate. They were into the game. Hollering some obscenities. Eh, I'm not mad about that. But I, you can't spit at people. Th th that is crossing the line. And I hope that the two guys that did it understand that it's unacceptable. I hope they are banned from the stadium for a, a while. They'll learn. But, but, again, that can be one of those things that ruins your reputation going forward. And we do it too well, man. We're too good of a fan base. We host too well for something like that to derail a, a really good reputation that we have. So yeah, don't spit on people. Other than that, they raised hell. They were raucous. They were into the game. App state players were mad. They wanted to fight just like they used to back in the, back in the day, Jerry. I mean, I thought they did their damn job. Now again, don't condone cussing at kids and don't condone spitting, but all the other stuff, that's part of the experience. Let him get after it. You know, the good, bad, and the ugly. The good for me was when I saw that video of App State, they tweeted out arriving off the bus and seeing the students just flock to the gate, watch one of them actually want to climb over and seeing them just intimidated to where Sean Clark even like acknowledged it as a, as an alum. I was like, wow, that reminds me of the days when we were students and I love that intimidation factor, right? They were booing them. They were just, they were screaming at them. I, I didn't hear any obscenities, but they were just kind of, they were there. They were present. And then before at warmups, seeing the student section get there early. I mean, we used to get there early, like 45 minutes to an hour before kickoff. They were there early 
yelling at the App State team while they were warming up. So I just knew, I'm like, okay, this student section is going to feast today. I knew they would show up. I thought they did a fantastic job all game. They were very intimidating. They were loud. You can hear them from our side where we were sitting. Awesome job overall. Now, that was good. That's the good. The bad, I heard them scream some things. They chanted some things that I wasn't too much of a fan of. I'll put it to you like this. When I was a student, we would have never yelled some of these things. Um, I want to tone that down a little bit, right? You don't want, to hear, you don't want ESPN uh, broadcasting on national TV hearing you scream obscenities you know, chanting certain things as a group. Name, not my cup of tea. The ugly, you don't spit on people, man. And I know it was one or two students. I get it. Do You don't do that. That's not who we are as Cajuns, okay? We're, we're hospitable. We're welcoming. We feed you. We, we, we say, hey, man, thanks for being here. Have a safe trip. Look, when every App State fan I ran into, I said, welcome. Welcome to Cajun country enjoy the game. And then when we were leaving in the parking lot, I said, Hey guys, safe travels back to Carolina or wherever you're heading back from. That's who we are. And, and I didn't do it to make a point. That's just who I am. I mean, I'm, I got Cajun blood in me, right? It's just like you guys hosted group of five and you were teaching app state fans how to peel crawfish. And that's who we are. That's our culture. That's just us as people spitting on people, trying to fight parents and players or whatever. I understand that there there's a lot on there's a lot of implications with this game, but taking it to that level, there's others. Let's just say there's other schools in the South that do stuff like that that we make fun of for doing stuff like that. We're better than that, and whoever did that, don't don't be that person. Just don't do it. Have some class. Be be respectful. You don't have to, you don't have to, doesn't mean you have to root for them. You can still yell at them and get in their heads on the sideline. I mean, we did, that's what the student section does. That's what students do. But the, 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 no spitting on people. No, no, unacceptable. And that's very shameful as a Cajuns fan seeing that I hate to say it, but that was embarrassing for me to see it. Uh, that it we, was, that's not, that's not who we are. It was embarrassing, but more of it is like it, it makes you feel like all the the hosting and and the well wishes and and in the good conversation, it feels like it was for nothing because those those same fans that had the good experience with you, they go home and they see that or they hear that you know some of their maybe family members or friends had a bad experience. It, it taints it. That that that's no good. And like you said, there are other schools in this state that we make fun of for being piece of shit fans. We don't want to do that. We want to be known for better than that. If you want to see how to host people, go to our, our Twitter feed and scroll down and see all that stuff. Now, ignore the LSU stuff if you want some hospitable uh, uh, information. But outside of that, we do a pretty good job, man. Uh, and, and also Coastal COVID Carolina, not great. But, <laughs> and but tech, no, I mean, don't forget tech. Yeah, there's a couple of them out there that we kind of beat up on. He's <laughs> going down the list. But you get the drift. You get and, the drift. And McNeese and Tulane and UNO and basically anybody we're, we're, in the state. In the we state are nice below guys. Us. We, are, we, nice we guys. are mostly nice guys. But, you know, we, we don't want to be – we want to be unique to who we are. That That's what we have to do. And I think we did that 85% of the time on Saturday. I, I just – I think that – now, look, the other side of that is you can't beg the, the students to come and then chastise them because two morons decided they want to spit on people. So I want to just the message needs to be, hey, I know you guys were amped up. I know it was a big day. This is how not to act when you come back next year for the Sunbelt Championship. We expect a little better. I think that would be my message. 
Well, no, look, I'm giving you, you can't beg them to come and then kick their ass. Well, that doesn't mean don't people. That doesn't mean don't come to the game. Look, when we were look, I we were on the rail every game when I was a student, and we packed that thing just like it was on Saturday, and they had a bunch of students to you know whether it's to the left or to the right of us on the rail screaming, screaming obscenities to the point where a few guys and I would literally tell them, guys, tone it down a little bit. We don't have to yell that all game. You can still you can be more creative than yelling the same thing over and over again. And you can't. I guess you are kind of. I, I think you know where I'm coming from here. But yelling the same obscenities is, is really it's not just rude, but it's like, dude, be more creative. Give me some good content here. You know, there's a lot of things you can pick on certain players if they look a certain yeah. way or if they their last name is unique. You can find content instead of screaming the same two let the same two words. Well, right? hell. Now with social media, you can find out anything you want about these players. I mean, my goodness, find out, find out what their girlfriends look like and just berate them. Oh, I mean, dude, it's so the, easy. The, the best, it's so the, easy. The best thing I heard this year is uh, we're playing South Alabama, maybe, and um, a, a guy, maybe a running back or a receiver or something, had a uh, had an arrest, and our freaking students found out. <laughs> Found his arrest record and freaking sitting there like, I don't know, say, say his name was Bobby. Bobby, why the hell are you stealing from, you know, what? Just, <laughs> and man, I remember because I was standing in the student section when this happened. And I remember, man, that kid just threw his head back, laughed. He said, y'all good. <laughs> he said, y'all good. That's good. That's basically, that's clever. That's good. That's yeah, what I'm they, talking about. They pulled like, up. They clever. pulled up his warrant history, man. Like, that's the right. kind of that, stuff that we used to do. Like when yeah. when I was in school, Facebook had kind of barely came out, so you could you could find a few things, but you really couldn't find all that much. Now, oh, I mean, yeah. you can find a Wikipedia you, page you, you, on literally you Google anybody. search. You Google search anything, and you'll find whatever whatever you're looking for. Yeah, man. As a whole, I mean, you know, it it is what it is. Like like you said, Josh. There's there's give and take with that, right? You know, there there's things that that you're gonna allow. There's things that, you know, are kind kind of in that gray area. And then there's just things you don't do. Uh, we had a little bit of all of it Saturday. It is what it is. Um, I've said I've said my two cents. Cajuns in the NFL. Um, Elijah Mitchell dominating again. I don't remember if he was the first 49ers rookie or the first NFL rookie to have four consecutive 100-yard games. I mean, dude, that's that's nuts. That's absolutely unreal. How many yards is he up to for the year? He that's, needs to be talked about for rookie of the, of the year. I mean, he's got to be doing, in the conversation. He's doing everything he needs to do to be in that conversation. There's no way there's no way he's not in the conversation. I would be I would be floored if he's not in the conversation. Let's see how many yards. So so far on the year he has seven hundred and fifty nine yards and five touchdowns. So it's likely that he'll be a thousand yard back in his rookie season. Yeah, four point seven yards and, a carry in his rookie year. And, and and he hasn't started all the all the games. Right. Well, hell, he missed three because of an injury. Came back against Arizona, missed another game. Came back for three weeks, missed another game. So yeah, I mean he's missed three 
five games so far this year. So he's played in eight games and he has 760 yards. That's absurd. Pretty salty. That's absurd. For a sixth rounder, 49ers got a steal. How about Tracy Walker for the Detroit Lions getting 11 tackles in a in a last-second victory? Uh, the Lions' first win of the year. Finally, no more, no winless teams in the NFL. I mean, Tracy might have a shot at the Pro Bowl, yeah. which is great. Yeah, that too. Um, you know, if you're if you're a Saints fan, you, you feel like this season has been winless because it's been a lifetime since we won a game. Uh, but you know, good. at one point we were five and two with two wins over, with one Tampa Bay and one Green Bay, right. which is insane. But you know, Camara practiced in full today, so. I say sit everybody and just play for a draft pick. We ain't going anywhere this year. Cajuns in Vegas. Raging Review, 10-3 and three on the year. And if any, everybody remembers, we started like 2-3 and three or yeah, we, we, we started three We was. started really bad. Really bad. So the Kings have returned. That is uh, That's a cool, let's see, we ended up. We're ten and three this year and eleven and zero last year. That's a cool twenty one and three. Twenty one and three in two years. Damn. Yish. Good job, Josh. Jerry Abear. Are you ready? I'm ready. Man, I tell you what. Man, I tell you what. I was there. It's a phrase that most sports fans latch onto when talking about a particular game or moment in history. For us locals, we hear phrases like, I was there. When the Cajun Dome was filled to the top during the heyday of the Louisiana Ice Skaters hockey team. Or, I was there when Cajun Field hosted the Alabama Crimson Tide in in 1990. There's even a bumper sticker of this same phrase highlighting the score 29-22 over Texas A&M in 1996. With big capital letters, I was there. This past weekend, over 31,000 fans were there at Cajun Field to see the Louisiana Raging Cajun football program accomplish a feat that had not been done since 1970. Win an outright conference championship. Yes, the fans were there to see this team play for 60 minutes and watch Levi Lewis hoist up the Sunbelt Championship trophy over his head. The fans were there to see their fellow fans run onto the field to celebrate this accomplishment together as a community. And the fans were there to say their final goodbye to head coach Billy Napier as he rode off into the sunset to Gainesville to become the Florida Gators head football coach. Last Saturday couldn't have been scripted any better. And it was even more gratifying putting a bow on the Billy Napier era as if it were a fairy tale with the phrase, the end, to close out his time here in Lafayette. But as one chapter ends, another begins. Just the other day, we named the 27th head coach to lead the Louisiana Raging Cajuns football program into the future. His name? Mike Desermo. A native son to Acadiana. A former standout football star at Catholic High in New Iberia. A former Cajuns quarterback who left it all on the field every Saturday that he put on that Cajuns uniform. Everything about this man embodies a raging Cajun, from his work ethic to his studious habits, 
Coach Dez's blue-collar attitude will be the guiding force that pushes the culture to greater heights. And we know that he will enforce these values onto those players who also put on that Cajuns uniform. And not to mention, he will take on that challenge as his personal obligation as a son of the University of Louisiana. All week leading up to the championship game, questions were being asked. Who is our next football coach? And while there were names on that short list that may seem to be a little more, quote-unquote, attractive perception-wise, did they really fit the brand for our culture? Could they have come in to continue what Billy Napier started? The answer is we may never know. But one thing is for sure. Our new head football coach sure can. The formula has been taught to him these past four years. He didn't have to go anywhere because all of his learning curve came to him through a man by the name of Billy Napier. It's really not too often we get to see a coach learn from someone without having to leave his original spot. Coach Mike Desimo had that opportunity and now has been given the keys to this convertible. Starting on December 18th against Marshall, he gets to enjoy his first test drive. You know, Raging Cajun football is experiencing unprecedented times. We have never experienced losing a head football coach for a better job. We have never hired a head football coach from within. But man, I tell you what, we closed one chapter of the culture Saturday night in front of Cajun Nation and the entire country and opened another chapter with a press conference just the other day. Let's keep it rolling with a man who has seen it all with this program so we can look back decades from now and say, I was there. Let's enjoy the ride, Cajun Nation, because this, (laughs) it's only the beginning. Then I tell you what. Well done as usual, Jerry Hebert. You know, but before we get out of here, I just I just gotta say something. Uh, men's basketball defeated McNeese tonight behind a dominating performance by Kobe Julian and Jordan Brown. But you know what the headline is? It it's the fact that Louisiana is going to Ruston on Saturday to play Louisiana Tech. And Louisiana Tech has a guy on their roster by the name of Kenneth Lofton, Lofton Jr. And people are calling him Zion 2.0. The kid is 6'7", 275 pounds. And according to numerous outlets... He is a monster down low. He's averaging 19.4 points a game to go along with 11 rebounds. Question for you guys quickly as we wrap up. Do the Cajuns have an answer for this guy? We're going to find out Saturday. Apparently, we get, look, we got, we got size. We got size. Dugay and, uh, Mr. Brown got yeah, some work to you, do you on right. Saturday. That's what we, we do. Say. We do have size, but I will tell you this. I'll tell you one thing that we are lacking, and this is just my 
Personal observation. We have size, but we don't have strength. We'll see. What else? What else do you say? That's going to do it for this edition of Region Review. For Jerry and Josh, Matt Miguez here. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, next week, we will bring you a preview of the New Orleans Bowl. We will go behind enemy lines on the Marshall Thundering Herd. And who knows? Might be doing it from a special location. See you guys next week. Be safe. Be well. And as always, 